Good afternoon, Delaware Valley. I'm Tom Tool. She's Stacy Mitchell. This is Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB 860 AM. And again, Stacy and I, we are members of the Tom Tool Sales Group at Remax Mainline. We are the number one Remax team in Pennsylvania and in Delaware since 2018. And we service the greater Philadelphia area. So the first thing we want to go over today and a little bit of controversy on the national level. Uh, th- there is a proposal in play uh, that would require, uh, and this comes from the National Association of Realtors, uh, that would require addresses on all MLS listings. And there was some debate. They had a, a Zoom meeting to talk about all this. They even post like the Zoom picture of everyone complaining, I'm sure, is what happened. Uh, that it, And this is, this is pretty controversial. Um, so the, it, it came out of committee, which apparently this is how things work at NAR, at their mid-year Realtors legislative meeting. Um, and, and they also approved um, sold listings without a sale price to be included in data fees in the non-disclosure states. That doesn't really affect us here. But the, the, the proposal in play, and, and this is already the case in our market to give some perspective, but to put addresses in all the sales. And this is what the policy says. And Stacey, I'm going to kick it to you. So residential listings filed with the MLS must include a property address where one exists at the time the listing is filed. If a property address is unavailable, then the parcel identification number, this will be your tax ID number, must be submitted at the time the listing is filed. If no address or parcel identification number is available at the time the listing is filed, the listing agent must, at a minimum, contain a legal description of the property sufficient to describe the location of the property. The information shall be available to all participants and subscribers at the time of filing. What do you think about all this? Well, I'm kind of used to that because I think (laughs) (laughs) the MLS in our area, it already has the addresses Mm -hmm. and the tax parcel ID number. So we're pretty open about it. Um, as far as our MLS that we use is, is, uh, concerned. Well, and then, and that, that's the thing that I find funny about all this is like, they're like, oh, this big controversial proposal. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you sell a home without telling people with the address. I don't exactly. know how you sell a home without the tax ID number. I don't even think you can complete a proper listing contract in the state of Pennsylvania without those things. Without an address, uh, right. So the po- it seems kind of weird. This is like big news. So the rationale for the proposal um, was that they emphasize that a property location is needed by brokers and agents to serve the interests of their clients. Moreover, disclosing that information when a listing is submitted is consistent with the MLS's three tenets of efficiency, transparency, and collaboration. Uh, I don't think the policy is the real issue here. The, 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 this, there's this thing called the clear cooperation policy. And I'll explain what that means in, in, in a second. My view is that th- this is something that got pushed out a, a little over a year ago where it basically eliminated a pocket listing. So if you know what a pocket listing is, it's let's say someone hires Stacy to go sell their home. And let's say it's someone that doesn't want everyone knowing that their home's for sale. Not that different from not putting a sign up, but here, uh, I mean, it would, it would not have to be put into the MLS. The MLS is the real-time database that realtors use to often get the word out, or in a lot of cases, it's the crutch that agents use to market properties. That's a discussion for another time. This to me is forcing people to use this policy because there are areas, and I, I our market's not so much like this, although there are off-market deals that happen here. Uh, 
It's more the, that they don't want to see that policy get compromised. So what the clear cooperation policy says, and I want to get your take on this too, even though it's already a policy, is that within one business day of marketing a property to the public, the listing broker must submit the listing to the MLS for cooperation with other MLS participants. Public marketing includes, but is not limited to, flyers displayed in windows, yard signs, digital marketing on public-facing websites, brokerage websites, including IDX feeds, that's like a property feed, digital communications marketing, like email blasts, multi-brokerage listing sharing networks and applications available to the general public. Uh, and there is an exemption that if the seller refuses to permit the listing to be disseminated by the service, the participant may then take an office exclusive and they can only disseminate that information to the people in their office. And they need to get that all signed off on and, and agreed to. Uh, and that also needs to be submitted to the MLS regardless. So, you know, I mean, to me, that's, I think the policy is more the issue here, even though it's already been enacted and we're, we're dealing with it. This whole, oh, there's this new controversial policy about addresses. Well, maybe the seller doesn't want their address out there. So, I mean, what do you think about all this? Representing a seller and they say, hey, I don't want it on the MLS. I don't want to do this stuff. And you have to work with this policy because otherwise there's hefty fines. And with our local MLS at Bright, Bright MLS is the one that we use here in the greater Philadelphia area. It's a $5,000 fine if you don't put this in the MLS. So what, what do you think about all this? Because I, this is something that doesn't get talked about enough. Yeah, um, it. I do have some experience with a seller that wanted to remain more confidential, um, not having a sign, um, you know, limited advertising, um, but that I explained the policy and they're, you know, they understand and they're okay with that. So there's just some things that have to be disclosed, uh, but you can limit, you know, you can put, you can not list their names on, on the, um, on the listing information. You can have that private. Um, but I see in some markets, uh, I was reading further into the, um, the information here and there was a market out in LA mm -hmm. County yep. uh, where they came up with an alternative uh, MLS. It's more for private listings. Yes. I think that's what they came up with. Yes. So maybe that's a good idea to have that option. Well, and I, 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 the issue here that I see is that, you know, we've got duty to the public. Ultimately the decisions made in real estate transactions are not you and I, we give advice, we guide people, at least that's what a good agent should be doing. I know that's what we do. My concern here is that the seller, like what if what the seller says, hey, you know what? I, I don't want it in the MLS. I don't want to do this. All of a sudden, your options are, okay, you can go for sale by owner, which mm -hmm. we know will leave money on the table on average anywhere from 6 to 17% less is what for sale by owner sell for compared to the 98 plus percent of properties each year that get listed by an agent. So it's going to cost the seller money or they got to go with one of these alternative companies that don't market anywhere that they they you know they, they try to navigate the rules because they're not members of the National Association of Realtors and you don't have to be a realtor in order to sell real estate that's something a lot of people don't realize you only have to be, have a have a license within the state so my view of this policy is that I, I get the idea ultimately there should be the seller decides this I I, I don't like the idea of hey here's Here's what it is, and you got to do it. Um, and it, it, at the same, I mean, there, there's going to be certain circumstances where maybe the seller wants some privacy. I mean, think about, mm -hmm. and you mentioned L.A., right? You know what's in L.A.? A lot of celebrities. Right. People, like, drive by their houses. I mean, right. you know, and, and they made that choice, and that's fine. 
but those people want some more privacy. And and that's definitely been the case. You look at like professional athletes or, you know, government officials sometimes. Well, they they've you know, I mean, that that's kind of a, a mixed bag there with some of them. But, but the point is, there's people that are going to want some privacy. So, you know, you're 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 put in that position. And let's say you absolutely don't want your information out there. I mean, what do you do? And, and how? I mean, th- th- this is the problem with this policy. Yeah, um, because the choices are limited uh, if you don't, you know, list on the MLS. Like you said, you can do for sale by owner. You would probably be on Zillow, though. <laughs> so you'd still be out there. Not anymore right. because Zillow is a brokerage now. Okay. Zillow, oh, ha- they, right. have, they have to follow the IDX feed. So, And gotcha. there used to be a company called Rex that would n- not do a great job with a lot of things, but they would only mm-hmm. list on Zillow. Mm-hmm. And people thought they were for sale by owners. And it's like one of those limited service companies. But now Zillow's got to follow the same rules. Mm-hmm. So this could create a niche market. For like luxury home uh, brokers that just maybe, you know how you create like your own club, like people, you know, they're, if they're looking to purchase high end or looking to sell high end, uh, could open up a whole different market. Well, and, and there's companies that are doing this internally, right? I mean, mm-hmm. and you do have the ability to market it just to your office. And, mm-hmm. you know, that also may hurt some realtors in the marketplace because if you're like an independent brokerage or you have a smaller office, all of a sudden you're at a disadvantage versus a big box company and maybe their agents are only selling two homes a year, which is usually the case with most of these places. Mm-hmm. So th- there's, you know, th- there's, there's all these different way- ways to look at this. And, um, the, the, the you're, you're t- what you're talking about with that, um, coming soon sort of pocket listing website. It was, uh, f- that, that's founded by, um, Mauricio Umansky of the agency. So he's got a company out in, in, in it's national now, but they're out in, uh, in, in Los Angeles. That's where they got founded. And it's called the PLS, the property listing service. Um, so they will list properties there first and that they actually have like an exclusive badge on there. It means they're only on the PLS. And again, um, you know, it, it's, I mean, it, it, it's kind of the same thing. They're just circumnavigating the rules. So, mm-hmm. You know, do you, do you think this policy is going to stick? I guess is the question. Then I want to walk through like if mm. this actually helps the seller or hurts the seller, and if it helps or hurts buyers too. I guess it really depends on the unintended unintended consequences that result in in the policy, and they're usually not they don't come to fruition until at a later time, <laughs> and then uh, the policies get reevaluated and uh, adjusted accordingly for the most part. So I think time will tell. And uh, just have to wait it out and see uh, how it's received. Well, and, and you, you bring up a good point, unintended consequences, right? So what this is going to do is the NAR may actually be hurting its members, saying hey, they're, they're mm-hmm. pushing them to a for sale by owner mm-hmm. when NAR is supposed to be the National Association of Realtors, which this is the problem with the with these sort of organizations. So <clears throat> I, I, I do see there's going to be some unintended consequences here. And I know we've, we've revised how we launch properties. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago when you were on the show with, with Sarah and you know, we, we've done it in a way that we're following the rules exactly to a T mm-hmm. and still giving the sellers maximum exposure when it comes to the seller. I mean, there are, there are some negatives here for a seller. Like what if you want a quiet listing period? What if you want mm-hmm. to get buyers excited about the home? You can't do that now with this, with this new policy, because the se- it loses leverage for the seller. Because let's say you're on, and, and we all know these streets. Like there's these streets where the homes never sell, right? And that's everywhere in the country. And a home gets listed there and someone comes up or they see something or they find out they're selling, they knock on the door. Well, the price that buyer's going to have to pay is going to have to be a really strong price for the seller to keep the home off the market. 
So what, you know, I mean, do you see any positives here for sellers? I mean, obviously taking it to the market usually gets max value, right? but you know, ultimately it's, it's their house. I mean, I don't like someone telling me how to handle my assets as long as I'm not breaking the law. This isn't a law. This is a rule. There's mm-hmm. a big difference here. Right. Again, uh, the sellers, you know, they, they have the ultimate say, but like you said, they could be leaving a lot of money on the table, um, just by, because of these um, you know, the unintended, unintended <laughs> consequences. consequences yeah. Right. Exactly. So again, it's going to have to play out and see what happens, but I think that would be a downside for downside for the sellers, um, leaving money on the table. Yeah. And, and I, I do agree with you. I mean, overall, the best way to go about getting the max price for your home is taking it to the market, having a, a total marketing blitz, understanding mm-hmm. all that. No question there to me, it, it, it's the sellers being told, Hey, you can't sell your home this way. Right. And they have to do it on their own. I mean, th- th- then all of a sudden they don't know what they're getting into. They right. might the contract might not be buttoned up. They may not vet mm-hmm. the buyer properly. All that. So I think that that's where it hurts sellers the most. Mm-hmm. What about buyers? What does this mean for buyers in the marketplace? Well, buyers won't have access to to those listings. They won't sure. have access to that information. So you know, if you have buyers that are in different areas, um, they just won't have access to that information. So it limits their inventory too. So I think the buyer benefits the most out of all you this. Think so? Well, because now they're going to find out about everything, mm-hmm. no matter what. Um, or someone's going to—I mean, five thousand dollars fine is a lot of money. So mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the, the, the LA PLS—that's great. That doesn't really happen here. We don't have something like that. So unless you're getting like an agent that has an exclusive listing or something, uh, and you happen to be working with that person, which is tough to find. You know, my view is that the buyer benefits the most because they find out about these properties right away. Now, the funny thing is that some agents still don't send these to their folks because in our local MLS, there's the active status that gets syndicated mm-hmm. on all the sites. And then there's the coming soon status, which a lot of people will, will place the listings in before they start showing it. And some agents don't send those to their buyers. It's mind boggling to me. And this is this is what happens. So. Right. And, you know, so, I mean, that, that that's something that can you, know, you, you the buyers need to make sure they have access to those, I guess, is the point. Mm-hmm. To me, the buyer benefits the most because they find out about everything and they don't miss out on some off-market deal. Mm-hmm. Even though those things happen, it happens. It's, it's a lot less likely with this sort of policy in place. Correct. Yep, I agree. Yeah, I was looking at it on the seller side as sure, far yeah. as the buyer's benefiting. But yeah, you're right because the buyers do get to see all the coming soon. And that is definitely one thing that I utilize in my business. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I do take advantage of that policy uh, for my buyers um, by sending them the coming soons and make sure they see about they know about these pro- um, properties. Some of them are in coming soon status for a couple of weeks. Yeah, you can go up to 21 days mm-hmm. in bright with, right. with a coming soon status. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, the advantage there is one, you can pre-market a property for a seller. I mean, again, you, you I mean, there, there are positives to this. I think it's the privacy issue is the biggest thing, mm-hmm. uh, but you can pre-market the properties a seller. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. You can get people excited. The buyer can get their schedule together and actually be available to go see the home, which the way life is today, everything kind of bleeds together with Zoom calls and meetings and all this other stuff that, that, that's going on. So I do see some advantages here. Uh, I, I just it's the privacy issue. Ultimately, the seller should be able to decide how they want to sell their house. And we don't see a lot of pocket listings here in general. I mean, you mm-hmm. see it sometimes in some of the higher price points where it's like Rittenhouse Square or some of these places or like the main line or some higher end homes. At the end of the day, you want to get max number, you want to get the max price, you better bring it to the public because you don't know where the buyer's coming from. And Correct. You brought up something like they could be from out of the area, even though a right. lot of people are moving out of Pennsylvania now. Mm-hmm. Eventually, hopefully, who knows, they'll start moving back or they might be moving from like a 
Lancaster into the area, or mm -hmm. they might get, be getting relocated from somewhere else where they're doing a lot Our of jobs. things virtually, which is how most people are doing everything right now anyway. Right. So relocation brings people to the area for sure. A lot of people coming from Philly out here and coming from New York City. Ag ag agreed, mm -hmm. agreed. And and so when you, when you go back to this kind of um, the, the wrap up this new policy, right? So, you know, there, there's been a couple of things that were identified from all these CEOs of the or chairmen of the MLS. I don't, I, you know, that, that that's an interesting thing to me. That there's a CEO and a chairman of the MLS, but there is uh, that there's been a lot of abuse with this. Um, and with the current policy, uh, there was uh, the broker owner at Align Real Estate, names Ryan Olhas. He's a committee member. Um, he, he proposed an amendment that would make this optional rather than mandatory because his MLS in LA, where this is a bigger issue, I mean, that, that's, all, that, that's absolutely a bigger issue in California. It, it gives, it gives sellers the option. I like that. Um, and they're, they're mentioning there is a lot of abuse because that would allow local MLSs to create separate property types or statuses that would in, ensure listings and end up in the MLS because right now, you have these also office exclusives, and there's a lot of companies where they, they, they have these huge, big companies uh, where they have you know hundreds of agents. So they just market it to them first, and then that kind of cuts out some of the other people. Else, so right. I, I do see this as, as a benefit there with these office exclusive listings uh, because that is, that's okay with this policy, which I find kind of funny because they're saying we want everything in the MLS unless you just market it to your own to office. Yourself, so it's, right. it's, a, it's a flawed policy. So I, I do like the ability to make sure that it's either got it's, it's got to be all the way or none. I don't, I don't think mm -hmm. it should be anywhere in between. Agreed. All right. So on that note, what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break here. We'll be back to talk about the number of agents exceeding the number of homes for sale. Pretty bananas. This is Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB, 860 AM. Welcome back to Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB 860 AM. I'm Tom Tool. She is Stacy Mitchell, and we are with the Tom Tool Sales Group at Remax Mainline, the number one Remax team in Pennsylvania and Delaware since 2018. So, Stacy, the real deal. It's a real estate news website. A little more edgy than Inman, right? It's a little more gossipy. It's based out of New York and LA and South Florida, and they, they have all the sexy markets. Um, uh, we didn't make the cut. And so, uh, with that, there was some news that came out that there are more agents out there in the country. And this, this came out, uh, about a month ago. There are more agents in the country than homes for sale, right? Uh -huh. So there's more agents in the country than homes for sale. So because inventory has been shrinking and the number of agents is rising because everyone thinks, oh, it's easy. I'm going to go sell real estate or, oh, the market's hot. I'm going to make a ton of money, mm -hmm. which can definitely happen. I just don't know that it's that realistic. People don't know what it's like in the day-to-day. -day. They're not in the grind, and that's why there's an 87% failure rate in real estate, higher than restaurants. Maybe not over the past year, but historically higher than restaurants. So the end of January, there was about 1.04 million homes on the market, and that's down 26% from last year. We know this number has risen. In the same month, NAR had 1.45 million members up 4.8%. So let me do some math here. Break out the calculator, right? So let's take 1.45 divided by 1.04. So literally there is 1.39 agents per house available. Wow. 1.39 agents per house. So there's a lot of things to unpack here with that statistic. The first one is, 
okay, you're in this market, you're a consumer, you're trying to find the right person to guide you and walk you through everything. How do you determine the people that don't know what they're doing or that are rookie agents or that are going to be part of that 87%? And that's over a five-year period, by the way. It's 87% are out of the business in five years. How do you navigate that and find the right person to help you with what is likely the biggest financial decision you're making, whether it's buying or selling uh, to date? And, and I mean, in most cases, your biggest asset, right? So where would you start there? And let's start with the sell side. So you're thinking about listing your home. We know that listings are super competitive right now. What kind of questions should consumers be asking these folks that come in? So you're thinking about listing your home. I think one of the biggest questions would be to find out about the marketing plan. You need to know what this agent, how they're going to market your property so that it reaches the most buyers out there. What are they utilizing? Are they doing social media? Or are they doing video tours? What are they using to market? Are they just going to stick a sign in your yard and put it on the MLS and call it a day and just hope people come to the house and buy it? Most of them will, by the way. I mean, go ahead. But that, 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 What she's saying is, is very accurate. That's the standard. Um, so you want to go deeper. Ask them what, what other marketing um, applications do they use? What other platforms do they use? Uh, I know that our team, I mean, we have an amazing marketing plan. And we use it for every single property that we list. Every single one. And it's it's very successful. And that's why we follow it to the T. Uh, so I think that's number one question, marketing plan. And you have to find out what is the most important thing to the seller. So sellers, you have to identify what is your most important thing. Are you interested in the highest price that you can get for your home? Are you interested in communication? Is your is the agent going to communicate regularly with you and give you status updates? Um, how are you going to handle showings? There's a lot, a lot of questions that come into play. You need to ask the agent and, and find out how they're going to handle each one of these. I love the question, what's your plan? And, and there's kind of like some different plans in there, which is really important. How are you going to market the home? Because what Stacy said about most realtors do have that three-point plan. They put a sign up, they put it on the internet, and they just wait around for someone to sell it for them. So you've got to, you've got to be careful about that. What's your communication plan? How's all this stuff going to work? I love those questions. I'm going to go a little deeper. How many homes have you sold in the past year, right? Because I don't know about you. When I go to the doctor, I want the doctor that has done the surgery. If I had to get surgery, hopefully I don't, or the procedure. The doctor that's done it every day over time for 10, 15, 20 years because I don't want to mess around with my health. And I've seen people make mistakes that hurts their financial health when it comes to selling a home. I'd also ask them for some reviews. Right? What are people saying about you? I would be Googling your agent. Like literally, just Google them. So look up Stacy Mitchell, Tom Tool Sales Group, Remax Mainline. You'll see good things. It'll be fine. The point is Google your agent because if you can't find an online presence for them and knowing that almost every buyer out there is going online to find the home, are they going to do the same thing for the marketing? Right? I mean, this mm -hmm. it, it sounds kind of basic here. You would be shocked at when people, they hire their friend or they hire someone they know, and that person sold one or two homes over the past couple of years. Is that really the expert to maximize the equity in your home? Because it's very easy to leave money on the table right now. So in addition to what's your plan, reviews, 
Google them. That's not a question, but that's something you should do. Ask them how many homes they've sold over the past year. Ask them questions about the term of the contract and what the fee is going to be. This is all normal stuff. Uh, you know, to me, it's it, it's really, really critical to understand that. And I also ask them, hey, what's your plan if you're going on vacation? What's your plan if something happens to you? Because we know that the market keeps moving, whether or not I wake up every day, right? And, I, and I'm not trying to be morbid here, but there's got to be a backup plan in place because a lot of people don't have coverage and then it's a whole problem. And that's where it's really important you have, you know, I'm clear a team really outperforms an individual. Mm-hmm. So if you don't have a team working for you, for example, Sarah, our co-host here, mm-hmm. she had a baby a couple weeks ago. I'm not expecting her to be negotiating deals and, and calling her clients back when she's in the middle of you know ha- having a baby or those first couple moments together. That's something people should be aware of. The consumer doesn't care. They don't care that she had a they baby. Care. And, and I mean that in the best way possible because they're right. worried about, well, I got an offer on my house. I got to buy this other house. I got 90 days to get into my new home. My kids got into school. Like all the like their life's going on. So that's where I'm clear it's important to see what the backup plan is and what team you have behind you. And because when someone's doing everything themselves, that's where things can get lost in the details. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and what are agents best at? Mm-hmm. At not communicating. <laughs> well, that, I, mean, I was going to say they're best at selling houses, but selling th- that, that is a big, that's the biggest complaint people get is they mm-hmm. don't communicate with them, which is why I loved you asked the question about what's your communication plan? Like mm-hmm. how often are you going to be keeping me updated? So, I mean, right there, we, we, we've hit on a couple really key points. Anything else sellers should be asking besides terms, fees, track record, plan, communication plan? What else should they be reviews? What else should they be asking when they're sitting down interviewing someone to get the max return on what's likely their biggest asset? I'm stumped. Well, we hit on some good questions here. The other thing I would say is... Are you going to be like, are you using a professional photographer? Are you getting professional yes. video done? Because if you've ever sure. seen a home online, right? <laughs> and this is part of the marketing plan, but this yep. is like the biggest mistake where the realtor shows up with an iPhone 5 and the pictures are crooked and they're dark and they try to edit them themselves. I mean, that's immediately going to cost that person a ton of money, mm-hmm. even in an incredible market like this. So that's what you should be asking on, on, the, on, the, on the selling side, on the listing side. What about... On the purchase side. So you got someone that wants to go buy a home. So some of the stuff's going to apply, right? Like reviews, right, number reviews. of homes you sold, mm-hmm. you know, experience, all that sort of stuff. How many years you've the been team. doing this? Yeah. Do you have Can't a team get, behind you? Mm-hmm. Why is the team important behind you on the purchase side? Because I, I think people need to understand this. Again, because if if your agent is away for whatever reason and the deal still goes on, the house has still come to market, if you're not under contract, you want to get the buyers want to get under contract. Um, if you are, if the buyers are under contract, the things there's deadlines that you have to meet. You mm-hmm. can't, you know, you can't miss deadlines because then you're not in contract anymore. So that's very important. What about when the home comes up? And it's mm-hmm. Saturday afternoon, mm-hmm. and Stacy's away with her husband, and isn't going to be back until Monday, and you're out of state, right? right. I mean, th- that that to me is equally important because. That seller's not going to, if they seller, if that seller has multiple offers on their home or, or something else, they're not going to worry they're about it. Waiting, so, right. so I, I think that you need to understand what the plan is. And also like for, for, a uh, on, on the purchase side, what's your plan? How's this going to work? What's the time frame look like? Like what's, what's the outline to get me into a property? Because enough people don't review that. And then all of a sudden you're in a competitive bidding situation 
and it's Saturday at four o'clock and you have to have your offer in by Sunday and you don't know what to do, mm-hmm. that's not when you want to be learning about the process. So, uh, you know, really it's having that meeting up front. And what I would say too, is if your agent is not offering you a consultation or a meeting up front, you might need to find another agent because they're not sitting down and walking through the process. And then you're going in blind and you're not able to navigate the market. So we hit on some of the questions here. Anything else you want to add in, Stacey, before we talk about how agents should be navigating this 1.39 to 1 ratio that we're seeing from listings to number of agents? I think we hit on uh, a lot of the high points there. So um, just to make sure that uh, if agents, you want to, if you're a buyer and you're not pre-approved, ask your agent if they work with premier lenders. Do they have in-house um, mortgage brokerage. Um, I think that's really vital and important. And that's a big, that's a huge part of the process. So do you have someone I can count on, on the financing side? Absolutely. Tell everyone why that's important because we've seen all types here. And what, when you say count on or what's your relationship, like what should they be looking for or not be looking for? Because we know that not every lender is uh, created equal. That's correct. And um, just having personal experience with not being able to get in touch with lenders on a Saturday at five o'clock when offers are due at <laughs> six and you need a, an updated pre-approval letter. So the buyer misses out. They miss opportunities. So if the lender is not receptive, um, is not available, uh, you know, slow to respond, 24-hour response rate there, buyers are missing opportunities. Case in point, this past weekend, one buyer missed out on two opportunities because we couldn't get in touch with her lender. Got it. So make sure that uh, when you're a buyer and you're talking to your agent, do they have someone that they work hand in hand with? It's, it's vital in this market. Well, and again, do they have reviews? What's their track record? Am I dealing with the same person with the lender? Because a lot of these big lenders, and I'm going to name names here, Wells Fargo, Chase, Bank of America, I mean, they, they, they send you all over the place. Mm-hmm. And it, it, and you don't have one person working on it, and often they don't close on time. And you know sometimes a seller they're not going to be willing to uh, extend the the you know the, the settlement right. date. So what I'm hearing is what's your relationships or some other things. I love that uh, because everyone wants a smooth and easy transaction. So you know, knowing that you've got this uber competitive environment right now for agents, and this, this is where the, the training in real estate is so lacking. And I'm, I'm going to say this again, is that if you're if you're trying to get into the business, we're going to break down some of our strategies here and you don't know how to do it. We have a real estate scholarship program where our team will pay for your real estate classes. The website to check it out is realestatescholarshipprogram.com. No license. Don't worry about it. We take new agents through all the time. Stacy, who has sold like 40 homes in the past 12 months or something, she was uh, she was a new agent when she joined. So uh, th- that's just another opportunity to break into the business. So that being said, what should agents be doing right now? Because a lot of agents, they've become accustomed to kind of being order takers. The phone rings. <laughs> uh, you're laughing because you know I'm right. The, the, you know, the phone rings. They call the lead. They go buy a house. That's not how this business has been for a long time. But because the market is the way it is, and it's been a seller's market for years, since really like 2013, some people have gotten a little lazy, don't have the same skills in place. So what should agents be doing right now to combat this ratio of not enough homes to sell? Well, agents should always be um, they're honing their skills for sure. Uh, so you want to make sure that 
you're not just dealing, you're not just nurture, you know, dealing with the people who are buying now. You want to make sure that you're nurturing your leads uh, that might not be purchasing until another year or so. You want to keep in touch with them, keep in communication with them. Um, maybe their situation changes all of a sudden. And one day you reach out to them just to check in and make sure, see how things are going. And they tell you, you know what, our situation changed. We, we want to start looking now. So I think that uh, constant communication with all your leads uh, is vital. Well, then that's a really good point because if you're not building your pipeline and you're just waiting for things to happen to you, you're going to be waiting for a long time, especially mm -hmm. in this market where it's not for the the people that are, are faint of heart, right? You've got to be able to go out there and be aggressive and trying to win business, whatever the systems are. I mean, and that's why, you know, that's why having, you know, systems in place and knowing where your leads are coming from and knowing what your day is like and having a daily schedule, like a daily schedule. If every agent implemented a daily schedule, they'd all sell 25, 30 homes a year. But people don't. They wake up at 10 o'clock. They're checking the MLS in their underwear. Like, it just doesn't work that way. This is, this is what really happens. So, uh, I know. It's just the visual. Well, I, 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 mean, yeah, I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to put, go there with you. But the, the point is that a lot of folks, that's what they're doing. They think that's mm -hmm. they, they can make their own schedule. Right. Yeah, you can make your own schedule. And it better be an efficient one because this business is not easy. And, and Nick Bailey said something in this article. So Nick Bailey is the chief customer officer at REMAX. Um, he told... Um, he came out and said the spike in number is partially because the entry into the industry is the barriers very low. Right. The barriers to success are very high. And yes. we know that, you know, the top 3% of agents, I think it's three, 3% of all the agents in the country sell more than 25 homes a year. Right. So, I mean, that's, you know, that, that, that's really what, what, what it takes. So you're saying consistent lead gen, consistent nurturing. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go a little old school on you. Mm -hmm. they, every agent out there should be working their sphere right now. And your sphere is the people, you know, they know you, they like you, they trust you. You need to be talking to them. And there, there's like certain scripts and dialogues you can use, but really it's like, it's not even like a script. It's talking to them and having a personal connection, having a real conversation because people know what you do. Mm -hmm. And if they don't, then that's on you. I mean, cause you should be, you know, marketing yourself and advertising yourself. And there's a lot of different ways to do that. Even just on like social media, which is a whole other topic for another day. We're not going to go into that, but you have a real conversation with people. See how they're doing. Hey, Stacy, how are you holding up during the past 15 months? I know it's been kind of crazy for a lot of people. I mean, th those sort of conversations will go a long way because the people that talk to the most, the agents, excuse me, that talk to the most people, they go on the most appointments. And the ones that go on the most appointments sell the most houses. So I'd be working your sphere, the people you know. Um, I'd be doing all the old school things because the way the market's going right now, everyone's trying to do the easy stuff. They want the magic bullet. I'd be calling into neighborhoods where you have buyers that want to buy and seeing mm -hmm. if anyone wants to, to, to purchase a home. I mean, it's, it's literally that simple. I'd also be working open houses because people, mm -hmm. I mean, open house traffic, it, it, it's so different now because the way showings are handled. I've been to some open houses where there's like 20, 30 people in the house. You can't talk to anybody mm -hmm. because of the pandemic. I see this as a big opportunity because typically only one party is allowed in the house. So you work the front of the front door like a bouncer at a bar, yep. right? One person in, one person out. Guess what you get to do as an agent during that time? You get to build rapport. You get to ask mm -hmm. questions. You get Gather to information. Get, get <laughs> them to sign in and get their contact info, right? right? So all those old school things work really, really well. And we're seeing people generate listing appointments from open houses. They're mm -hmm. selling the house at the open houses. This has all happened at our team over the past 60 days. So <clears throat> you're talking about consistent lead gen and consistent nurturing. Love that. That long-term nurture is the, where the game's at. Working your sphere 
calling into neighborhoods, open houses. What what else? What else should agents be doing to combat all this? Well, I really think that the circle dialing is key, especially if you have a buyer that missed out on an offer in a particular neighborhood. Reach out, circle dial that neighborhood. See if somebody else is, if they know someone, if they're considering, because you have a buyer that already wants to get it. You have them. They missed out on an <clears throat> opportunity. Um, you know, it's a great opportunity to get more information from from that neighborhood, potential uh, sellers and buyers, actually. So the circle dialing, definitely, uh, that's been very helpful. Not every seller wants a parade of people coming into their house. Yep. Some people do not want that. And I'm not saying it's, it's the right thing to do. It's a personal choice. Like we just talked about. This is your house. You can do whatever you want with it. Mm-hmm. If you want to get the max price, probably not a great idea. However, one showing, right? A single showing. You don't have to clean the house like a maniac. You don't have to... Get, get everything done. You don't have to be ready to vacate the home for a weekend because we know that when homes hit the market, I mean, it's a parade of showings coming through nonstop. So that's a real advantage. And you're also helping your client, right? Because to yes. me, every realtor should be have a client first mentality. Mm-hmm. It should be about the client. You should be guiding them through the process and doing those extra things. That's going to win you a lot of repeat business too when you go out and find the home for the people. Correct. Right? Yes. They'll so, remember that and they'll refer. Mm-hmm. So, um, we, we got work in your sphere, having a human connection call, circle calling, open houses. What's worked well for you in, in the past 15 months? I mean, you, you know, you've got into the, you got into the business. We met the day before literally now, Stacy and I, we, Stacy was a for sale by owner to give some perspective, called her, got the, so that's another thing you can do. Call for sale by owner, mm-hmm. got the appointment, helped her and her husband, um, sell a family member's property. And then we met, it was, I think it was, it was like literally the day before we were told to stop coming to the office. Yes. It was like right that time. So you had a pretty interesting onboarding, onboarding. first year in the business <laughs> and have outproduced agents all, all over the country, um, amazingly, which is a credit to you. So what, what have you done that's worked really well? Because I mean, you're, you're having tremendous success here. Uh, just being consistent, um, being aggressive where necessary, <laughs> not too aggressive. Everybody wants an aggressive, uh, agent. Um, when they need to buy or sell. <laughs> so I think that's worked really well for me. Um, and just um, really paying attention and focusing on each and every client as they're the only ones. Like they're the most important thing. They're the most valuable at that time, you know, and they are. Um, but it's hard. You do get distracted and there's many things that happen during the course of your day. But, you know, when they're, when they're reaching out to you, you know, definitely communication is key. So being consistent, right? Have you? I mean, we hear this every every business that requires sweat equity, that requires you know some some effort to become successful. That sort of stuff goes a long way. So being consistent, I love treating every client like they're the most important. So how, how do you mm-hmm. do that? Because I mean, there, there's distractions that come at you from all angles. So mm-hmm. how do you do that? How do you keep people top top of priority? Because you have amazing reviews. Obviously, you're selling a lot of houses. You're getting referral business all in your first year. So talk to me a little bit about that. When I'm with them at showings, they're my most important at that point. I'm not on the phone. I'm not texting. I'm not doing those things. I put aside that time for them to, you know, just focus solely on them. I think that goes a long way. Um, And they know that they have access to me. There's obviously cutoff points to every, um, you know, (laughs) every time of the day, not not before 7 a.m. or after 8 p.m. But for the most part, if they text me, email me, they know that they're going to get a response. They know that they don't have to wait, uh, you know, 
hours and hours because sometimes when you're going through this process, things are urgent. You know, you have to act quickly. Um, they know I'm going to try to get out there and get them into a home ASAP. I'm not going to wait two days to get mm -hmm. a showing. So that's how I make sure that they understand that they're my most important thing at that time. So you're, you're backing up your talk is what I'm hearing. You're doing totally, what you say you will. Absolutely. You have to. To me, that's integrity. Doing what you say you will, when you say you will, right? And mm -hmm. you know, letting people know, hey, I can't, and, and you know, I can't do it this time, but here's two other times that work. That's a great strategy as well because, yes. and usually you do it like one before and one after when they want to go. So there's some options there and, and, and you know, kind of letting your clients know they got to be a little flexible too, given the current state of the market, right? Right, right. So, you know, we, we hit on a lot of stuff there that agents can be doing. And, and the, the last thing I'll kind of leave you with is don't be a secret agent, mm -hmm. right? I mean, there's so many realtors out there. They get, they hear someone's moving and they get afraid. They get nervous. They don't want to share that with people. And, and there's a way to do that, whether it's, you know, a and don't be this agent where every time you like, you, you sell a house, you're posting on social media, and it's all you talk about. You got to be real, but let people know you're an agent, right? Don't be afraid to get on video and give a market update on social. Don't be afraid to do things like, you know, posting a, you know, a, a review from a client and, and just, it just can't be all real estate because people will unfollow you. It, it's going to happen because, mm -hmm. it, it, you know, fo following a real estate page or a real estate agent all the time, it can get a little nauseating, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I'll be the first one to tell you. So don't be a secret agent. Make sure people know what you're doing. And, you know, you, you do that, you're going to be able to outperform these people that got into the business. Because, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that have happened here. I mean, there, there, there's some times where, you know, we're coming up where all these people got four load. They don't have jobs anymore. So I, and, and there's a lot of talent coming into the industry, too. This, is, uh, this to me is not like it was before when you see this number peak. So, you know, knowing, knowing that, that that's kind of what we want to do here, some of the options that are available. We're going to take a quick break. We broke down what agents should be doing. We broke down what consumers need to be uh, asking agents. When we come back, we're going to talk about forbearance numbers continuing to drop. This is Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB 860 AM. We are back on Tool Time Real Estate Radio. I'm Tom Tool. She is Stacy Mitchell. We are with the Tom Tool Sales Group at Remax Mainline, the number one Remax team in Pennsylvania and Delaware since 2018. And what we're seeing, Stacy. And there was some information that came out about a week ago uh, regarding forbearance numbers. Um, so mortgage forbearance. It dropped to 4.36%, and the people exiting the forbearance is picking up steam a little bit. So what that means here is the downward trend of borrowers in forbearance is continuing to speed up through the last week in April. It fell 11 basis points to 4.36% of servicers' portfolio volume, according to the Mortgage Bankers Association, and it is the 10th straight week of decreases. And... That's reflecting a faster rate of exits and a steady low level of new requests, which is good news. And uh, th there's some reasons we're going to talk about that in a second. Um, now, to give some perspective, given forbearance numbers, typically they're going to decline towards the beginning and the end of the month. Nearly all investor types experienced the same type of drop as of May 2nd. So I think it's it's relevant that you're seeing the same type of delta there it's not something that's only happening in one or two cases it's not it's not a one-off and you know the percentage of loans and forbearance for independent mortgage servicers decreased about 12 basis points to 4.58 so this is all very consistent here uh so knowing that we're seeing this drop in forbearance what does this mean for the market i mean what, what are, are more homes going to be coming to the market are there going to be 
are, are there opportunities here for buyers and sellers? Uh, because, you know, last week we talked about the CFPB pushing back the foreclosure dates and being worried that, you know, uh, when, when we get into that, there could be, you know, up to 1.7 million homes going into foreclosure that are in uh, because of some of the properties in forbearance right now. So a little contradictory here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it seems t definitely to have shifted somewhat. Um, I think it's good news. Uh, it means that people are catching up. Um, you know, there's they're trying to stay in their homes at this point. Um, so I, I definitely view this as really good news. Um, it's going to be more secure. It's going to produce, you know, more secure marketplace, I think. Um, but still, there are going to be folks that um, are not going to come out of forbearance, and uh, they'll definitely need to consider their options. Well, and, and I, I, you know, what I look at here, too, and I, I see this being uh, tied to uh, un the unemployment rates, right? So the mm -hmm. unemployment rates, um, I mean, if you looked at hiring in the U.S. in April, was much weaker than a lot of the economists expected. Um, employers only added 266,000 jobs that the Labor Department showed uh, for their April report. And you know, some forecasters, they predicted we'd see payroll gains of at least one million pointing mm -hmm. to some of the rapid economic growth this year. And sometimes that gets delayed. Um, the rate, the unemployment rate ticked up to six point one percent at from six percent as more uh, Americans sought work. And the labor force defined as the number of people working or looking for work grew to four hundred thirty thousand people last month. So um, now, now the good news is leisure and hospitality added three hundred thirty one thousand jobs. I'm clear that number is going to continue to jump as restrictions get lifted. Pennsylvania is supposed to be getting rid of a lot of these restrictions towards the end of the month. So hopefully that's that, that that's a positive there. Mm -hmm. So with with the job markets kind of coming back a little bit, you know, I I, I, I do anticipate this number is probably going to drop even more, especially once the mm -hmm. summer hits, because that that's when I really anticipate a lot of things opening up. Mask orders are going to be lifted. Mm -hmm. So yeah, knowing that's the case, I mean, I think this is this is good news. Um overall that, you, I mean, you don't want to see people that are not paying their loans. I mean, that's just bad right. for everybody. And housing yeah. does make up a large percent of the GDP. So, you know, if, if you're someone uh, like we, we know what kind of the indications are, are for the economy right now, you know, you're a buyer or seller. Do you think this has any factor on how you should be approaching your search or how you should be doing things? I mean, that that's probably the biggest question because it's great to look at all this economic data. Mm -hmm. We're here to talk about the market and what it means. So if you're a seller and you're still in forbearance, what should you be looking at doing? Consider selling for sure. Um, you might not even know how much equity you have in your home. So you sitting there in forbearance and with the unknown, with the possibility of going to foreclosure is way more scary than reaching out to uh, somebody that has knowledge and can provide some really valuable information to you regarding what your home value is and what you could stand to gain. So, you know, if if your only option is you can't get out of forbearance and you're going to be headed to foreclosure, a good option could be selling and you actually cashing out some equity of your home so that you can move on and get into something else. This is your chance to reset. You're absolutely yeah. right. I mean, you know, the, 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 the fact of the matter is that there are some people that bite off a little more than they can chew. Mm -hmm. uh, they don't look at their budgets. They live above their means. And I'm not here to criticize that. I'm saying if you're in that situation and you can't afford to do it anymore, you got a great opportunity in front of you with the current housing climate because we're seeing appreciation continuing to go up. Mm -hmm. We're seeing ferocious demand in the marketplace because of millennial home buyers and other people. So I, I you know, it, it 
to me, it's talk to someone that knows what they're doing. So mm-hmm. call a local agent. It doesn't have to be us. That's not what we're here saying. I want you to call somebody that knows what they're doing and see if it's an opportunity to get some equity out of your home that you might not have had a year ago. Correct. You know, prices are up pretty high. Right. So, you know, that, that that's definitely one option, right? Um, now, if, you know, in, in terms of people that are, you know, looking to buy, I mean, do you think this has any factor at all on, on how they should be operating or changing the, changing their home search process? Because I don't. I don't. I think they should continue just to do their home search as it, as they're doing with their agents. Um, don't look to purchase foreclosure properties or share sales. It's very difficult. It's not easy. Um, it's very risky. And uh, it's not a pleasant experience. So work with your agent. Uh, continue, um, you know, searching for listings uh, with your agent, homes that are on the market, not trying to get a deal on a foreclosed property because it's usually not a deal. Unless you're a contractor, that that's what you, you know, specifically look for. But not many people are. Well, and, and you bring up a good point there. And what I was going to say is even if you are a contractor, you're spending your time there, which is probably more valuable than anything. Um, so, I mean, that time can be used for, for other things. So, you know, we're looking at this. So buyers, you know, keep aggressively looking, mm-hmm. follow the, the advice of, of someone local, get an expert to help you. Sellers, if you're in this situation, and I mean, right now, there are more than um, 47% of borrowers in forbearance extensions. They're past the 12-month mark as of the end of April. And they're still struggling and falling further behind. So, I mean, this is like that that debt that just keeps accumulating and gets worse and worse. And the interest is compounding. So, unless you're, you know, you're you're in a spot where you know things are going to change for you, th- this is really an opportunity to to get out. And I'd really be taking a hard look at selling. Uh, and there's other options out there too. I mean, even if maybe you know maybe you you borrowed way too much against the home. I mean, talk to someone about negotiating a short sale. Look at ways you can get out because. Just keeping that debt going, it's it's not really doing anything for you, and it gives you a chance to kind of look at look at and, and reset your your ability to build wealth. So, uh, you know, now the other the other thing too, I want to kind of kind of hit on here is when it comes to the unemployment numbers, uh, you know, this is going to have a factor with with the market as well. Um, and there's a lot of folks that I I mean, hiring has been tough for a lot of these people because there's an issue of childcare, right? Like there's a lot of parents out there. I mean, you know that that. They have to decide, all right, am I going to watch my kids? Because maybe they're not school age yet or they don't feel comfortable sending them to school or they're virtual or whatever. And they have to decide, am I going to watch my kids or am I going to go to work? And I think that's probably one of the reasons why unemployment's as high as it has been because we have all these restrictions in place. So right. knowing that orders are getting lifted, I anticipate this is going to, that unemployment number is going to come down a bit. Because then they'll be able to go back to daycare. There won't be these restrictions, um, especially with like summer camps opening up and those sort mm-hmm. of things. I think there, there are going to be some opportunities there. What do you think about that, knowing that child care is as much of an issue here as anything else? Yeah, I think you're right about that. As the restrictions are lifted and people are seeking more to get back to normal, especially, you know, the more uh, folks are vaccinated, they feel more comfortable. It's definitely going to... Um, provide opportunities for kids to, like you said, get into the summer programs again. I'm sure the kids want that as much as their parents want that. So uh, it is going to, we're going to see some rapid change in the next few months. Yeah. And and I'll, I'll take it one step further too. Um, it's that there, there also is a, a big issue right now in the workplace where the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, um, they called for an end to the $300 weekly federal benefit um, mm-hmm. because 
right now, this is what they're claiming. This is the Chamber of Commerce from the U.S., not us. That the, uh, that boost um, led to about one in four workers making more money in unemployment than they earned working. So people were actually saying, well, I'm making more money here and I'm not going to go back to work, which is causing staffing issues at a lot of places. And that's not going to help people in forbearance. I mean, like it, it's, it's, it's a whole cycle here of, of unintended consequences right. yep. that, that came from a lot of this uh, COVID-19 relief. So do you, I mean, if that benefit goes away, do you think that's going to help the situation and, and get more people out of forbearance or at least bring the, bring the, uh, bring the unemployment number down? I think it's going to bring the unemployment number down. Yeah, there is a lot of, and I just know in our area, uh, especially hospitality, mm-hmm. there's just, there's short staff to the point where some restaurants couldn't even be open Mother's Day because they didn't have enough people to work that day. So they they closed for the day. Who closes on Mother's Day? One of the busiest restaurant days of the year. Um, but and it that, was nice weather, and, and you it could was, sit outside. Yes, so I mean, exactly. there, there's there, and, and which is unfortunate because these mm-hmm. these businesses have been getting crushed, and, and they I mean, need they're really the hurting. business, right? Hundred percent. Well, so I mean, no, knowing that's all going on, so I mean, you know, do, looking at like we're we're at the end, middle end of May right now, next three months, mm-hmm. what do you see happening? Are, are these forbearance numbers going to continue to decline? Is unemployment going to go down? What's going to happen? I think the unemployment. This is just my opinion. I think the unemployment will continue to drop. Um, which will help with the forbearance. I think the forbearance will uh, continue to drop. Also, it's going to level. Well, and 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 the, the I mean the unemployment number now to give some perspective in February before everything started. This is February 2020, so over a year ago the unemployment number was about three and a half percent. So now it's up up north of six. So you know, to me, one of the most important things that can happen for the economy, which ultimately will bring more jobs to the market, is getting these people back to work. Right. So right. the sooner that happens the better off we're going to be. So that's where we're going to wrap it today. This is Tool Time Real Estate Radio. You want to get in touch with us, email us at info at tooltimeradio.com. Find us on Facebook at Tom Tool Sales Group, or you can follow myself or Stacy on Instagram. I'm at Tom Tool the third, Tom Tool 3RD, and she is at 2Mitchko, the number two, Mitchko on Instagram. We'll be back next week. This is WWDB 860 AM and Tool Time Real Estate Radio. Thanks for listening.